I'm Alan Thorpe. And I'm David Rogers, and together we host The WeatherPod. In each episode, we invite a leading expert to help investigate how public, private and academic sectors can work together to produce weather information of value to business and society. Timely, accurate and focused weather information and related services have enormous value across all areas of human activity. It can increase the efficiency and profitability of business, help save lives and improve safety on land, at sea and in the air, and predict the spread of life-threatening diseases. Now, as climate change increases the frequency and impact of extreme weather events, weather information is crucial to build social and economic resilience. In the special Asia Climate Forum edition of the WeatherPod, Alan Thorpe and I have invited Dale Barker, the Director of the Centre for Climate Research Singapore, and Thomas Reindel, the Deputy Chief Executive Officer of the Solar Energy Research Institute of Singapore, to discuss decarbonisation, renewable energy and hydrometeorological services. Alan, over to you. Thanks, David. I'd like to open our discussion by taking a look at how you see your own organisation's work feeding into the drive for global decarbonisation. In particular, I think the need for better hydrometeorological services and more accurate forecasts is going to increase as society takes more steps towards decarbonising the economy. I suppose the key reason is that as economies adopt more renewable, sustainable technologies and processes, they become increasingly sensitive to weather across many sectors. Of course, this is further exacerbated by climate change. Dale, could I start with you, please? What what do you see as the main challenges being faced in decarbonising Singapore? And how does the Centre for Climate Research Singapore contribute to that? And when it comes to improving climate information, where are the gaps or shortcomings in the science and technology that need addressing? Thanks, Alan. Yeah, so in terms of the de- decarbonising uh, Singapore, of course, we are here in, in the deep tropics, uh, a relatively small small part of the world. Uh, and, you know, in terms of uh, carbon emissions, uh, Singapore overall is, is a relatively small small contribution to the overall total. Um, but in terms of decarbonising, we, we don't necessarily have some of the uh, mitigations or the, uh, the the solutions that others can, can can bring in. So, for example, renewable energy, you know, in, in the deep tropics, of course, wind energy, which is a big part of it. Um, you know, it's a small place, so we don't have too much space for, for solar, um, although, of course, um, we'll hear more about the, the fact that we are working in solar, but it's a relatively small place. So it's a really a regional dependency and a regional solution when it comes to de- decarbonisation. I mean, in terms of CCRS's role, our, our, our goal is to, um, to, to do research in what we call the underpinning climate science, you know, and, and also the, how that underpinning research on, on understanding and predicting how the climate system will evolve, how that is then going to uh, impact on, on agencies and governments and, and, and the public's uh, actions and decision-making. And so, um, so how we contribute to that process is, is of course, um, through, through science, uh, through uh, both uh, weather forecasting. So for example, we are interested in predicting the weather for the next 30 minutes. Uh, which is on the sort of weather impact side, how, where, where do they send the flood teams to, for example, but also way out beyond that, all the way out to the next 50 or 100 years. And of course, um, that, that's more about understanding the way the, the, the future climate will, will evolve. And, uh, and, and in particular, one of the big uh, projects that we have at the moment is to um, 
to essentially run what we call regional climate projections. So we, uh, you, you're probably familiar with the IPCC, the, 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 the global uh, cl climate model uh, projections. Well, of course, Singapore is a very small place. And so what we want to do is take those um, large scale climate uh, projections for the next 100 years and really uh, hone down into the, into the impacts on the Singapore region. So, so climate modeling is a, is a big part of what we do. So, uh, and, and weather forecasting. So I'd suggest that they're the, they're the priorities for us. That that's interesting, Dale. I wanted to follow up on on actually the last point you mentioned, which is obviously uh, if we're talking about global climate models, they're they're relatively low resolution and uh, on a a large grid scale. Certainly compared to the the city state the size of Singapore, um, where clearly there's going to be need for much higher resolution. I just wonder how how do you deal with that um, interface between you know coarse grain information from climate models and what you need at the at the scale of the city yeah so yeah thanks that's a good question so um uh, there are various approaches to this but in terms of our climate modeling what we're doing is uh essentially creating a nest what we call a limited area model uh and and, and it's nested within the large scale uh global models of course it has to the, the local has to feed in get the large scales from from the, the from the globe, um, and we do that on both weather and uh, climate timescales. So, for example, on the weather on the weather timescales, we're running our models at around a kilometer grid spacing, uh, mm -hmm. whereas in weather prediction, uh, the the you know the best uh, global weather prediction systems in the world, such as the European Weather Centre. Uh, are running around nine, soon to be five kilometer. So um, what we're doing is we're taking those uh, global grids and global science and those projections um, and, and going down to kilometer scale. And on the climate side too, of course, the climate models need to run over hundreds of years and thousands of scenarios. And so they can't necessarily afford to run at even the five, 10 kilometer grid spacing. So it's an even bigger challenge on the climate change timescales. Uh, Thomas, could I turn to you? And I'd, I'd like to know a, a bit more about how you see the Solar Energy Research Institute fitting into the decarbonization process in Singapore and, and elsewhere for that matter. And uh, what technological developments are taking place to improve the effectiveness of renewables like solar and wind? Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, yeah, so there is the Solar Energy Research Institute of Singapore, which is part of the National University of Singapore. Um, we are Singapore's National Institute for Applied Solar Research, and we uh, develop novel technologies uh, along the full value chain from solar cells, modules, all the way to systems. But we don't stop there. We also think about how to safely and reliably integrate solar, which is variable in nature, uh, safely and reliably integrate this into electric power grids. And so the whole discussion about decarbonization uh, is a very, it's, it's at the core of our activities because decarbonization on a global scale only makes sense. Uh, and decarbonization in many areas will lead to electrification of many sectors. And this electrification only makes sense if it comes from renewable energies. And this uh, electrification has to happen across various sectors for electricity, for sure, meaning the move from fossil fuels to renewables. But we also, we also have to look into transportation, like the move over to uh, electric vehicles, heating wherever it, uh, it's necessary, 
using heat pumps, for example, instead of burning fuels to heat up uh, water. Uh, and we also have to look into indus various industry sectors in the chemical, steel, and other heavy, heavy industries. Um, and most of the lifting will be done by wind and solar. And uh, if, if you look at the outcomes of uh, the Glasgow conference and other uh, experts, it's very obvious that we have to we have to get our act together in the next 10 years. The next 10 years will be decisive for uh, how which uh, degree scenario we are looking at, whether it's 1.5, 2, or even more. And for the next 10 years, we cannot wait for technologies which may be developed now and may be ready in 2030 or more. We have to use technologies which are ready. And the ones which are able today to do the heavy lifting is wind and solar. But both, of course, are variable in nature. And in order to safely and reliably integrate it into power grid and have them available also at times when there is no wind and there's less irradiance or maybe at nighttime, um, we need to accurately be able to forecast the power output of the various uh, variable renewables. And that's where climate science and solar forecasting play a major role, and there will be much, much more in the future. What, what's the um, current uh, percentage of uh, energy provided by solar at, at the moment? Um, globally, it's, uh, it's about 3%. Um, and we just surpassed just a few uh, weeks ago, the, we surpassed a major milestone in solar deployment, which is one terawatt peak of installed capacity. So the whole world now has one terawatt peak of installed solar capacity. It took uh, 40 years to get there, but the interesting part is it only takes another, say, four years likely to add another terawatt. So this, that's also striking for the renewables, how fast you can deploy them, and especially solar. There were three, there's probably 200, more than 200 gigawatts of solar will be deployed this year which is around about 18 gigawatts per month, wow. which is like 18 major power stations will be deployed every month alone this year, which would take, say, a few years for conventional, or if you talk about nuclear, it would probably take 15 years for each of those one gigawatts. Thanks. I'd like to move us on to a, a, a related area, if I may, and... Uh, a key area we, we explore in the weather pod often is the value of cooperation, and that involves cooperation between the public, the private, and the academic sectors of the weather enterprise, both nationally, regionally, and internationally. Um, so, I, Dale, I was interested to know how you see uh, the value of such cooperation to the work you do. I mean, for example, uh, we know that uh, cooperation with national meteorological services, obviously in your case, the Meteorological Service Singapore is important, and also with meteorological services internationally and regionally. Uh, so I wonder, how, how does such cooperation work for you, and, and what are the benefits as you see them for the and with the organisations you work with? Mm. Yeah, thanks, Alan. So I guess, I guess the I guess the first uh, a couple of things to say to start with. I mean, of course the. Um, the climate system is interconnected globally, so one one ha is forced to work, you know, to understand the global 
climate system to understand where you are, whether it be in the next five days or the next 100 years. So in that sense, we are forced by the science of the system that we have to work together. Uh, and of course, you know, today's weather in, in Europe was last week's weather in North America. So, uh, you know, those global models are vital. Uh, and the observation network, of course, which is probably one of the, you know, the biggest uh, um, um, successes maybe of the, of the global weather climate community over the past decades is that international exchange of data because we all depend on each other you know we can't do a five-day forecast if we've just got observations at our local place so you know we, we have to work together i think the other thing i'd say is that um you know the complexity of what we're trying to do uh is is enormous um you know in terms of the the need to understand how the weather works the clouds uh, the, uh, the, the oceans, the ocean currents, the impacts of salinity uh, and the impacts of the ocean and the atmosphere and the land working together. Um, you know, this region is called the maritime continent. It's in the name, you know, it's in the name that the sea and the oceans and the land and also the atmosphere, of course, are highly interconnected. So we have to work together across uh, d d uh, disciplines. And we, and we have to work together because this, the, we cannot use simple models. These models are highly complicated, millions of lines of code, which require significant amount of computing resource to produce weather forecasts. So, so we, don't want, we don't everybody want to be doing this. We couldn't afford it. So it's absolutely essential that we work together. Thomas, can I ask you the same kind of question? Obviously, you work in a, in a different uh, domain, the technology domain. And so I'm, I'm very interested to know how, how does cooperation work there and what do you see as the main benefits to you and your partners of, of any cooperation that happens? And to what extent is it, how, how, how wide and far does the cooperation go? Does it span different sectors and regions? Yeah, we certainly rely a lot on collaborations across the world. We work in different parts of the value chain and there's different types of collaborations. Uh, but specifically in the in the area of solar forecasting, which is one of the key uh, areas we are we are working on, um, this is where, where we clearly need the inputs from from the Met services and from the from the climate research, because we were I would say we were born as solar people, but we were not born as metrologists. So we need to work together and uh, and, and 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 give it each other strength because this area of what you call energy metrology meaning applying meteorological uh, scientific uh, methodologies in order to predict the outcome or the, pro the, the generation pattern and resources for variable renewables, be it wind and solar. This is ever growing in this, uh, in, in this growth of renewable energies. So I, I, a sort of related follow-up is you've talked about the link to, to MET services, MET information. What about across the industry in terms of different companies that are that are looking at you know renewable energy provision? Is there to what extent is there the ability to to share best practice and to and to generate new ideas collectively? Yeah, the the need for for uh, the correct data from from uh, observations is important along the entire value chain of a renewable energy project. Uh, that already starts with site selection when you need to know which whether your place has sufficient wind or sufficient uh, irradiance to make your business case viable in the first place. Um, and then it goes all the way down to operations. And during operations, uh, forecasting 
is very critical from two perspectives. One is uh, to maximize your output, because if you have a large solar farm, and I happen to have the privilege to visit one of the largest solar farms in the world, which uh, was a project in China, 850 megawatts. Um, it takes you half an hour by car to drive from one end to the other. Wow. And that system alone, uh, you have different uh, irradiance and different cloud patterns on different parts of the, of the, of the, of the solar farm, because it's just by the sheer size of the solar farm. Uh, and in addition, uh, as I mentioned earlier, we have to look into a safe and reliable integration of variable solar power and wind power into electric power grids. Right. So, so Thomas, um, you know, a key issue that we often discuss in the weather pod, and particularly at the moment when we're looking at renewable energy and the, and decarbonization and the new economy, is you know what is the need for detailed, accurate, consistent hydromet data? I mean, we we assume that uh, from a sort of from our professional side, but it's not necessarily so obvious, you know, how that information is being used uh, and will be used within the sort of renewable energy system. And um, I'd like you to tell us a bit about your solar forecasting system and, and how that is actually operating and how you actually, you know, what you need to make that work within within the context of uh, uh, Singapore. Yeah, so our solar forecasting project that requires us to forecast irradiance over different time horizons and irradiance across the entire island of Singapore. Um, and time horizons we are looking at are anywhere from five minutes to 30 minutes, 60 minutes, seven hours ahead, all the way to 14 days ahead. And this is largely uh, for managing the energy market in Singapore, but eventually also with an increasing share also to manage the power grid accordingly. Now, uh, as we already talked about, Singapore is in the, in the tropics and uh, forecasting weather patterns uh, and cloud patterns over short and medium time horizons is extremely complicated. We basically need to forecast anything that blocks or reduces the amount of sunlight reaching a solar panel, which is in typically clouds, but there could also be uh, transboundary haze from forest fires, which we also have uh, analyzed some, some time ago. Um, but what we really need as an observation is irradiance data. And we st when we started this 10 years ago, we were knocking all doors in town to get uh, high spatial resolve uh, irradiance data, which we couldn't find because uh, most of the MET services, um, of course, for weather forecast, you need to know, you, we as human beings, we want to know whether it rains uh, and what temperature, how hot it's going to get, but not how much irradiance we will have because we as human beings, it doesn't really matter whether you have 850 or 600 watts per square meter irradiance. So the sun intensity is for the normal weather forecasting not so relevant, but for solar power, it's the key parameter. So what we started out is uh, then to build a, a sensor, our own sensor network of irradiance sensors in a, about five times five kilometer grid across the entire island, which we have now developed uh, into a live irradiance map. So we, at any given point in time, we know the intensity of the sun onto Singapore. And that's then the base to forecast 
the same uh, spatial resolution over different time horizons. But again, uh, only one set of data will not help. So we complement this with numerical weather prediction data, uh, which we uh, partly get from, uh, from CCRS, which is our collaboration partner. We work with satellite uh, data providers uh, where we also get quite high resolution data every time resolution uh, every 10 minutes or so. So we need a whole set of different datas and then uh, we make forecasts on the different data sets. And then as it was mentioned earlier, we use machine learning in order to filter out uh, the best and most optimum forecast for the different time horizons. And that's where the uh, our 10 year, almost 10 years of observation come in because machine learning only works properly if you have a large uh, historical data set where you can train certain models. Is this these techniques being applied in, in other places? Uh, you, uh, you know, outside of Singapore? Yeah, for, for our system, uh, which is now really operational, and that's, uh, I also want to highlight this, that this is fundamentally different whether you do a little bit of uh, forecasting on your on, on an historical data set or whether you run this in a real life operational system. And uh, we have developed this. It's currently being trialed in the Power System Operations Center here at, uh, at EMA in Singapore. And once this has been properly tested and implemented, which is expected by the end of the year, then this will become an integral part of the power system operation mm -hmm. in Singapore. And from there, this is obviously uh, would be a strong reference point for, for our development. From there, we can then start knocking doors in other, for other utilities, but also for asset owners who want to have uh, forecasting for their solar generation. Thanks. I'd, I'd like to <clears throat> move us on to uh, uh, another topic, if I, if I may. Uh, and that is about air pollution and, and air quality. And uh, Dale, perhaps I can ask you about CCRS. I know that it does air quality modelling to investigate uh, the effects of various types of pollution in the urban environment, uh, and then to go on to produce air quality forecasts. I suppose I'm particularly interested in where you think the main gaps in both the data that are needed and the science that is needed and what do you think are the best ways of filling those gaps? And I suppose a related point would be, do you, do you think that there are the international efforts, such as, say, the Copernicus Atmospheric Monitoring Service, are, are valuable to your work? And, and how would you use that? Yeah, thanks, Alan. Yeah, so on the, on the air quality approach, we, we've... Um, yeah, I guess we've been we've been looking at that in CCRS for a number of years now. I think initially it was it was more about regional air quality, you know, in terms of the sort of cross boundary uh, biomass burning and uh, and in terms of uh, um, data. I mean, the, the the satellite data has been immense uh, for you know to provide us information and the, the improvements in satellite data over the past ten years have been immense to see the bigger picture in terms of uh, not just not just haze, of course, but aerosol optical depth. Uh, but also, you know, for example, um, there are a variety of sources of, 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 of uh, 
air quality, air pollution in the region. And for example, volcanic ash, we don't necessarily get too much of that here. But again, in terms of uh, satellite data, providing information on 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 the height of the the height of the plume, the uh, you know, and the the hot spots in uh, forest fires, for example, that, that's huge. So so I guess that uh, that that's where we're. I think with that that that's and that's a, that's a collaboration across. Southeast Asia through what we, we is the ASEAN Specialized Meteorological Center ASMC, which is hosted by the Met Service Singapore, and that, that's something we provide products on the web uh, every day for, and I think that's that's a real success. But in terms of air quality, and you know specifically honing in on Singapore, you know that then then you're starting to get into. Um, obviously uh, very complex chemical uh, you know reactions between uh, you know the various constituents whether it be the particulates pm 2.5 pm 10 um, ozone uh, and, and other oxides etc so um yeah and i think that the challenge in terms of the data and the science of course um well the science is um is certainly challenging because you know some of the this is a, a typically a very hot place urban environment you know the, the 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 path of the chemical reactions that lead to the different concentrations of air quality is probably different here from somewhere it might be london or beijing you know because of the concentrations the, the 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 pathways through the chemical reactions are probably different so i think there's a real real exciting science actually to be done to better understand uh you know how, how air quality is um is is in singapore and i think this is very much a uh, almost like a city, you know, the, 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 the chemical reactions are sort of uh, well known, but how, how the weightings apply to each of the different um, species is, is a real challenge. And that's certainly something that we're working on. And in terms of data, of course, you want the, the observations of air quality. And, you know, that's, that's often a street level thing. So there's issues of what we call representativity you know if, if you're if you're if your instruments next to a bus that's parked at the bus stop then you're not going to get a representative view of what the true air quality is across the whole district so you know there's some some issues for the data and the science could, could i um turn to thomas and and you know stay in in the urban environment but again this is also about the uncertainty so you know that the, there's a challenge obviously in the tropics you have a high variability of power generation due to cloud cover and, and i'm assuming also due to air pollution how does your solar forecasting system work when it comes to you know predicting cloud cover and the and the impact of air quality and also i'm i'm very interested to know how the market is structured or how it will it be structured to utilize that that kind of information yeah, the, uh, well, by the way, the one beauty of these hefty uh, tropical rainfalls is that they clean the solar panels and they move, ab move away quickly. So this is something <laughs> very often in, uh, in the European context, it, it rains for a whole day or for, for a, two days in a row, which we hardly have here at all. Uh, but we have these heftier rainfalls and then they clean the solar panels and if then the sun comes out, just nice, because then you have more intense, you have clearer skies. Uh, so there's also a beauty as long as it doesn't rain for uh, for ages, of course. Um, yeah, as I mentioned earlier, we have to predict anything that is between the extraterrestrial uh, irradiance and the solar panel, and that's typically clouds. Um, it actually starts even before the clouds. We have so much turbidity and so much humidity in the air here in the tropics that the if you blow away all the all the clouds, if you look at the clear sky model for Singapore, 
it doesn't even get you the 1000 watts per square meter, which is the, uh, the standard when you measure a solar panel. There's an international technical standard how you measure solar panels. And that uses 1000 watts per square meter of sun intensity. Uh, in Singapore, the clear sky model doesn't even get there. It's about 950 watts per square meter. So in principle, you don't even get what you paid for. Uh, just from the sheer uh, moisture which is in the air, not even talking about the clouds. Now, uh, the air pollution, which you mentioned earlier, luckily Singapore is uh, rather clean compared to other mega cities in the world. But nevertheless, there, there is air pollution in general. But then for haze in particular, we did a very detailed study on the 2013 haze event, which was one of these transboundary haze from forest fires in uh, nearby countries. And uh, what we observed there was that a PSI of about uh, 200 would reduce the output of the solar power systems here by 15%. Mm. So it is a sizable impact, what we would get from this haze. This was actually quite an interesting, was a scientific problem, because during haze events, you still have clouds. And so you have to very uh, sophisticatedly uh, separate the impact of clouds from that what is actual haze and what would have been there anyway because it's, uh, it would have been cloudy on that day or in that observation. So that was an interesting uh, science aspect. Uh, but luckily we didn't have much haze in the last few years. So leaving us with the forecasts of the clouds and the Sumatran squall, what Dale mentioned earlier, that would be a beautiful one to, to project. Uh, because they can be seen moving across the island very nicely with a very uh, rather sharp front. Uh, but it can be very devastating for solar power output because it moves across the island, probably takes about 30, 40 minutes on a, uh, to cover the entire island. But then the typical rain cloud it brings along with are very thick and they reduce the solar output if you have like the 950 before it would go down to below uh, 200, maybe even 100 watts per square meter. So right. within 45 minutes, if you have, say, uh, a gigawatt of solar power, which is probably one-seventh of the total uh, power generation in Singapore, within, say, 40, 30, 40 minutes, you would switch off a significant portion of your power generation. So that's where the impact uh, is very measurable, there's typical variabilities are in, in lower magnitudes, but they're still there. And they are definitely measurable in time frames of, say, 30 minutes, because 30 minutes, this is the energy market closing time frame. So Singapore has the, uh, a free, uh, completely liberalized energy market. So there are uh, conventional power gener Genco's generation companies, they run power stations, um, and they have to bid uh, every 30 minutes, they have to bid into the energy market, and then there's a merit order effect, and the one who gets the low, bids the lowest price will get to serve the electricity in the following half-hour cycle. Now, with a small share of solar, this doesn't really make an impact, but with an increasing share of solar, and solar not being dispatchable, um, we have to take the load forecast, which is also being generated in half-hour increments, and then take away what is going to be generated from solar 
and only the delta of that needs to be um, needs to be provided by the generation companies. And there is a, a certain level of accuracy required because any ups and downs or unforeseen ups and downs in the energy market, they need to be provided by reserves and reserves tend to be much, much more expensive than the conventional energy electricity. Do, do you see um, opportunity for more um, you know, smart use so that when you look at, you know, you're, you basically alter the load, but in response to, a, based on the forecast, so that you're getting people to reduce their use where, wherever they can for short periods of time and reducing air conditioning output so, and so on. Is, is that happening? Um, yes, so we are looking at that as well. Um, so there's demand management because whenever we have less solar, um, the uh, classic reaction would be to increase the power output of a gas-fired power plant, for example. Uh, but you may as well, as you mentioned, you, you may as well reduce your load, uh, especially with air conditioning. And air conditioning is a great opportunity for Singapore because 15% of all the electricity we, which we use here goes actually into air conditioning. But many of the large air conditioning systems are uh, water-based, so they use cold water. So if you have less irradiance because there are clouds moving over your solar installations, um, then you may as well switch off your air conditioning system and reduce your power demand because you have a, a, quite a sizable thermal inertia which you can ride on uh, because there is already a tank with cold water which can then provide for another 30, 40 minutes. And only then when the clouds have moved away, you can switch on your air conditioning. So this would work for reducing uh, solar irradiance by clouds. But then if the clouds move away and suddenly you may have too much and excess energy, there's also great opportunities for Singapore how to deal with excess energy because one of the uh, large loads in Singapore is, for example, desalination plants. So when you have excess solar power, you instead of curtailing it or, or, or not using it, you may as well run desalination plants at a higher rate. And then you store the excess power in fresh water, basically. So sector coupling is also makes an awful lot of sense for managing the, the solar irradiance. I mean, you, you give, I think, a really fantastic example of really the use of forecasting in a very uh, active and dynamic way in, in, in managing the energy situation in a country. Thank you. Indeed. <coughs> Unfortunately, it's time to draw to a close. And uh, it just remains for me to say thank you so much for, to Dale and Thomas for, for joining us for today's discussion. It really has been an extremely interesting conversation. Yeah, indeed, and, and also for me, many thanks for joining us on this special Asia Climate Forum weather pod from Singapore and sharing your really valuable insights. Thank you. Pleasure. Thank you. My great pleasure. Thanks a lot. Well, that concludes this special episode of the weather pod prepared for Asia Climate Forum 2022. We hope you've enjoyed it. If you'd like to hear more episodes of the weather pod or have any ideas for future episodes, then please visit www.gweforum.org or email us at support at gweforum.org.